are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. How wonderful tonight to be in the house of God, and uh, my heart has been blessed by the music tonight, and I trust that yours has as well. I want to ask you to turn to the book of Malachi with me. If you will, if you're not sure where that's at, if you'll just find Matthew and make a left-hand turn, you'll be there. Malachi, chapter number 1. When you found your place, if you're able, if you would, stand to your feet out of honor and reverence to the Word of God as we read our Scripture text tonight from the book of Malachi. Malachi, chapter number 1, verse number 1. The burden of the Word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight and we thank you for the wonderful privilege that's ours to be called the children of God. Lord, to be able to gather with the family of God, to sing the praises of God, and now to be able to open the very Word of God and to hear from you. And I pray that you would help us in these next few minutes. I know that for many the day has been long, I know that they have been at work and school and other activities and many have come straight here. But Lord, I pray that for just a little while you would help us to be able to set aside those things that would weigh us down and we would give you our undivided attention and allow you to speak to our hearts and help us as I'm sure you desire to do tonight. We'll thank you and praise you for all that's accomplished for we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake, Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Tonight as we open our Bibles, we find ourselves, uh, I guess, at the conclusion of a lengthy journey. For the past little over a year, we have been making our way Wednesday by Wednesday through the books of the Old Testament, getting an overview of each of these books and seeing what the Lord has for us in them. Now, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. In fact, when this book is completed and Malachi sets his pen aside, centuries of silence will ensue with not a single word from God. In fact, when Malachi is completed, the very next thing on God's calendar is the appearance of the Son of God. And during those centuries of silence, it must have appeared as if God had forgotten. I'm sure that the voices of the skeptics and scorners must have rung out with ridicule at those who believed and clung to the promises of God. It all seemed so unbelievable. It seemed like some kind of fairy tale. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. You know, as I thought of this, I I was reminded of the last book in the New Testament. After it was completed and the apostle John laid aside his pen, there would literally be centuries of divine silence. 
In fact, the next event on God's calendar will be the appearance of the Son of God. And during the centuries of silence, so often it seems that God has forgotten. It seems like God has abandoned his people from time to time. And often we hear the voice of the scorner and the mocker crying out as Peter records for us, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. But Peter goes on to remind us, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Can I say to you this evening that he is coming again. God has not forgotten his promises. God has not forgotten his people. And just as he came the first time, even so he is coming again. And that brings me to the word for our book tonight. And the word is revelation. For that's really what this book is all about. It is a great unfolding before our very eyes of some wonderful truths. It's more than just a record of the past. It is a revelation of the future. And in this little book, as we consider it this evening, we will soon discover that it is as up-to-date as tomorrow's newspaper. In fact, it's ahead of time. And tonight, let's see what we can learn. I think by way of introduction, there's something interesting for us to note about the scribe of this book. This book was written according to verse number one of chapter number one that we read by a man by the name of Malachi. Now Malachi is an interesting individual in the word of God. His name simply means my messenger. And that's exactly what Malachi was, was a messenger from God. The interesting thing about Malachi is that we have no lineage of his life given. We do not know his father, his grandfather. We do not know other relatives of his family. We're not told where he was born. We have no record of a birthplace. Uh, we have no listing of a family as far as a wife or children that he may have had. In fact, there is no record of any achievements that he made. In fact, really, we could say this, there is absolutely nothing about him. There's just a word from God. He appears on the scene without fanfare and he disappears without notice. And it's just a reminder to us that in these last days in which you and I live, it's not about us. We're just messengers with a word from God. We just appear from nowhere and one day we're gonna disappear into nowhere. And while we're here, our job is just simply to say, thus saith the Lord. It really doesn't matter what I think or feel. It doesn't matter what you think or feel. What really matters is what does God say about the situation? We're just messengers on a mission from on high to deliver the good news to those who have never heard. Well, not only the scribe of this book is interesting, but I think it's important for us to consider some matters concerning the setting of this book. The book of Malachi chronologically follows the books of Haggai and Zechariah. 
Now, this is not always normal in scripture. Many times books do not rest in their chronological order. They're placed in another order. But on this case, the, the prophet Haggai prophesied first. Alongside of him soon came this man by the name of Zechariah. And then some, uh, probably 98 years later, comes Malachi on the scene. Now let's get our minds around the setting and what has transpired. As, as Haggai and Zechariah take up their prophecy, it's shortly after the Jews have returned from captivity. They have returned from captivity in Babylon with a consciousness of the love of God. It is God's great love for them that has watched over them and cared for them and uh, protected them while they've been away in captivity for 70 years. And now God, just to fulfill his promises, just as he always does, he does exactly what he promises he will do. And now God has gathered them up. God has brought them back to their homeland. They're very conscious of the love of God. They come back from captivity and they're concerned for the honor of God's name. Oh, they want to make sure that God's name is honored. This great God who has cared for them, who has fulfilled his promise, who has brought them back from captivity. They come back with a compelling desire to rebuild the house of God. Oh, they want to reestablish that worship, that connection, that relationship that once they had, that they've heard their fathers and their grandfathers talk about. This day that they have envisioned is now becoming reality before their very eyes. And they come back with great convictions as to the claims of God upon their lives. It all sounds wonderful, but something's happened. During the 98 years that have passed since Haggai and Zechariah have stirred the people to the work of God, during those intervening years, things have gone wrong. While outwardly things appear much the same, there's something wrong on the inside. Can I say this? Always remember that the heart of the matter is the heart. That's why the Solomon said, keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. And these people have a problem. There's something wrong with their hearts. I would say from my study that they're much like the people of the Laodicean church. The people to whom John would write, that thou sayest I am rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Amen. So most certainly they were a people in need of a word from God. And that brings us to the subject of this book. This message of revelation. I, I notice as I examine this book that first of all, there is a revelation of the attitude of the religious. Now, all of these people, they are considered to be people of God. They are Jews. They're all a part of the right family. They're all a part of the right lineage. And as Malachi writes, beginning in chapter 1 and verse number 2, all the way through chapter 3 and verse number 15, what he writes and what the Lord records for us 
is going to reveal to us the attitudes of this religious crowd. To the word of the Lord, whatever God says, their response is to argue with it. Now notice verse number two. I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Look at verse number six. A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests that despise my name. And ye say, wherein have we despised thy name? Verse number seven, ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar. And you say, wherein have we polluted thee? Look at chapter number two and verse number 17. Ye have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet ye say, wherein have we wearied him? Turn over to chapter three and verse number seven. Return unto me and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of the host. But she said, wherein shall we return? Verse number eight, will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But she say, wherein have we robbed thee? Verse number 13, your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, what have we spoken so much against thee? Did you notice how every time God says something, they say, oh no God, you don't, you don't have that right. That's not, that's not the way it is. That's not how we see it. We disagree stringently and strongly with you, God. You see, the people of Malachi's day, not the world, the people of Malachi's day, God's people, had an attitude of rebellion against the words of God. I mean, if you go through and you mark it in your Bible, and I have it marked in mine, you'll discover there are 10 times they use the phrase, ye say. There are two times that Malachi uses the phrase ye said, and one time he uses the phrase ye have said. If you add that up, 10 plus two plus one is 13, and 13 in the Bible is always a mark of rebellion. And they are a people who are rebellious against the words of God. Notice really what their spirit is. Notice really how they feel about the situation. Look at chapter number one and verse number 13. Ye said also, behold, what a weariness is it. How do you feel about the things of God? Oh, it's just a weariness. I mean, we have to go to church. We have to sing the songs. We have to give. We have to do this. We have to do that. It's just a weariness. Look at chapter three and verse number 14. You have said it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? Could I just say this? People and priesthood alike in Malachi's day they were just simply sick and tired of serving God. We're just weary with it. We're just worn out. We're just done. But I want you to notice the tragedy of that attitude. Chapter two and verse number eight. But ye are departed out of the way. 
That's bad enough. But she have caused many to stumble at the law. You see, the problem with just being sick and tired of serving God is not that it just affects you, but it also affects those you are around. Just as everybody is fearful of the coronavirus and everybody's washing their hands and wearing masks and practicing quarantine, why? Because according to all the knowledge that we have, this virus is very contagious and it is very deadly. Could I say to you the same thing is true of people who are sick and tired of serving God? That, that disease, that sickness is very contagious and it is likewise, spiritually speaking, very deadly. Let me ask you the question tonight. Mom, dad, sick and tired of serving God? Who have you caused to stumble? Christian worker, sick and tired of serving God, weary with it all, who have you caused to stumble? Teacher, co-worker, church member, let's ask ourselves the question tonight, yes, I'm weary, I'm tired of serving God, but the great question is, how many people have I caused to stumble by my complaining, by my arguing against the preaching of the word of God, against the teaching of the word of God, against the commandments of God, who have I turned aside from the way of righteousness? Well, it's a time for self-examination. Should we look at the book of Malachi because it puts us under the microscope and it reveals the attitude that many in this last day have toward the things of God. You say, preacher, I'm depressed, I'm discouraged. Well, I'm glad that's not the end of the book. Because not only is there a revelation of the attitude of the religious, in Malachi we find a revelation of the affection of the remnant. Could I just say this? There always is a remnant. Don't ever forget that there is always a righteous remnant. Elijah had to be reminded that in his day there were 7,000 who had not bowed the knee to Baal. In Nebuchadnezzar's day there were four who would not defile themselves with the king's meat nor the wine which he drank. In Malachi's day there was a company of people who still feared the Lord. And could I remind you today that not everyone has compromised, not everyone has forsaken the old paths, not everybody is sick and tired of serving God. There's a whole crowd that are happy in the service of the king. They are happy, oh so happy. Every talent they possess to him they gladly bring for they are happy in the service of the king. You might be here tonight and you might be sick and tired but I wanna tell you I'm feeling mighty fine tonight. I'm feeling good about serving God. I'm rejoicing that every day I have an opportunity to walk with the king and to talk with the king and to serve the king. You don't have to be a part of the crowd that's sick and tired that says everything God says I'm against. You can cross over to the other side and you can be a part of that remnant that has an affection for God and his work. Notice what he says in verse number 16 of chapter three. Then they that feared the Lord. Oh, I, I, I like how it starts out. 
He's told us all the bad. He's revealed to us all the negative, all the bad. And he says right in the middle of it, as bad as it is then, can I say, it doesn't matter how bad it gets, you can still serve God and live for God. It doesn't matter how dark the sky may be, there's still a light on the other side. It doesn't matter how great the opposition may be, if God be for us, who can be against us? And then in the midst of all of this discord and in the midst of all this disharmony and the midst of all this uh, regret in serving God, there's a handful of people that are just singing and shouting their way through it all. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. And the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. Oh, can I say, I'm glad for this little crowd right here. That's the part I want to be in. The Bible says, they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. Now, I'm pretty sure that they weren't talking often one to another about how stiff the commandments of God were. I'm sure they weren't speaking often one to another about how hard it was to be a follower of God. They weren't talking about the great burdens they had to carry and the great weight that weighed them down. You know what they were talking about? The Bible says that they, not only did they talk one to another, but the Bible says at the end of that verse, number 16, that they thought upon his name. Can I say, let's just talk about Jesus. The King of Kings is he. The Lord of Lords supreme through all eternity. The great I am, the way, the truth, the life, the door. Let's talk about Jesus more and more. Let me ask you the question, how much have you talked about Jesus today? Oh, I tell you what, it'll make your day a whole lot brighter. It'll make it a whole lot better. When somebody gets up to sing, you just start thinking about Jesus. Don't be looking at what they're wearing. Don't be listening to whether they hit the right note or not. Don't be analyzing how they held the microphone, whether the piano came in too soon or too late, whether they're about to cough or strangle. Just sit back and say, listen, what are they singing about? Oh, wonder how that connects to Jesus. I want to think about him for a little bit. It'll make the song service a whole lot better. I I was sitting up here. I I like to sit on the platform for the only reason I like to provoke my fellow believers unto good works. And Brother Martinez will tell you, I sit up here and I have a bad propensity to whisper. And those ladies got up singing about that mountain. And I just leaned over and said, yeah, that's a, I like to think about the mountain, especially the one called Calvary. You know what our problem is? We focus our attention on the wrong thing. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace as they feared the Lord and they spake often one to another. I like that, they spake often. Wasn't a long period of time in between. In fact, it almost seemed like every time they bumped into one another, they said, oh, by the way, I was reading. By the way, I was thinking the other day about the Lord. Uh, By the way, you know, I just saw this. 
I, if you're around me very long, you know I have, a bad, I have a bad problem. I'm always looking for something, and the problem is I'm always finding it. And the problem is when I find it, I can't hardly hold it in. I just get a little excited. It starts bubbling out. I have to find somebody to tell it about. I, I, I got to share it with somebody because it's going to explode on the inside. Can I say if we'll just get in this word, if we'll just walk close to the Lord, we'll have something to talk about, something that'll be uplifting, something that'll be encouraging, something that'll be a blessing, something that'll be an honor and a glory to his name for us to talk about. The Bible says, and they spake often one to another. But notice this. We have a listening God. And the Lord hearkened and heard it. You nervous about what the Lord's been hearing you talk about? Not if you've been talking about him, you're not. Uh, by the way, he's not only a listening God, he's a listing God. He said, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. Now, can I just say, I know my name is in the Lamb's book of life. I was there when it happened. I guess I ought to know there was a new name written down in glory and it's mine. But can I say, that's not the only book I want my name written in. I want my name in this book. You know, there's something wonderful about becoming a grandpa. Somebody said that grandchildren are your reward for not killing your children when you thought about it. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but if it is, it's a great reward. So those of you who are young parents, just, just hang on. Just, you know, the best is yet to come. Just, just be patient. Just hold on because one day grandchildren will be on the way. But you know, I remember as a child getting up in the chair beside my grandpa and he'd open up the photo albums. They probably don't even have those anymore. And we'd look at pictures and he'd say, remember this? Remember this trip? Remember when this happened? I'd do the same thing with my dad. I'd get up in the chair beside my dad my dad would pull out the photo album. He'd begin to point out things and remind me of things that had happened in the past. The Bible does say, him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. I don't know, maybe in heaven, there'll be a time when the Lord just lets us climb up on his lap, puts his arm around us, and says, oh, I want to pull out a book. I want to show you some things. Look, look over here. Look on this date. Look at that date. February the 19th, 2020. Look at that, 2.30 in the afternoon. Look at that note. You were thinking about me. You, you were talking to somebody about me. Oh, that, that meant so much to me. You weren't distracted by all that was going on, by all the upheaval and the disorder and the chaos of society. You weren't stressed out about finance. You, your mind was on me. And remember what great peace you have, for great peace have they which love thy law, and thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. He's a listening God, he's a listing God, and could I just say he's a loving God. 
Verse 17, they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts in that day when I make up my jewels. And I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked. Between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. Can I say one day the record's going to be all made straight. Everything's going to be made clear. And a loving God is going to reward those who've been faithful to him. Well, not only is there a revelation of the attitude of the religious, not only is there a revelation of the affection of the remnant, but in this book of Malachi, we have a revelation concerning the anticipation of a redeemer. By the way, chapter four is God's final word. And God always has the last word. You can argue if you want to. You can shake your fist in God's face if you want to. You can say, God, I disagree. I don't think you have that right. But it really doesn't matter because God's going to have the final word. And chapter number four is God's final word to this generation. God says this. First of all, in verse number one, there's a proclamation of retribution. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, all that do wickedly, shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Can I say there is coming a day when God is going to judge the wicked for their wickedness. You see, because sentence against an evil work is not speedily executed, therefore the, the hearts of the sons of men are fully set in them to do evil. Because this world has gotten away with wickedness for so long, they feel like they're going to continue to get away with wickedness. But I want to remind you that there is a, an accounting day coming. There is a judgment day coming when all will be set right. But notice verse number 2. There's a promise of redemption, but unto you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. Oh, I'm telling you, there's, there's going to be a deliverance for those who have been faithful and who have trusted in him. Knowing that, there is a prompting of responsibility. Look at verse number four. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. You see, understanding, God says to the people of Israel, judgment is on its way. I, I have deliverance for those of you that will walk with me and understanding that, you ought to make sure that you take heed to walk in my commandments. Because if you walk in my commandments, when judgment day comes, you'll be on the right side instead of the wrong side. Now can I say for those who are children of God, we're going to be on the right side when judgment day comes regarding our sin, regarding our eternal destiny. But I want to tell you, I don't want to be on the wrong side of judgment when God judges our works uh, that, that uh, we have to give an account for. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that we may receive the things done in this body according to that we have done, whether it be good or bad. And I want to be on the good side of that judgment when I stand before the Lord. I certainly hope that I receive a crown or two that I can lay at his feet so that I can express my gratitude for what he has done for me. But that won't happen 
if I don't remember the law, if I don't remember the Word of God and walk according to it, I'm not going to be found on the right side when that judgment, that day of accounting comes. But then notice how he closes this book. There's a prophecy of revelation. He said in verse number five, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And so he tells us about the coming of Elijah. You know, when Jesus came to this world, according to Matthew chapter 11, verses 12 through 14, Luke chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, there was one who came before him to announce his coming. His name was John the Baptist. And the disciples asked Jesus after the experience on the Mount of Transfiguration, they said, now, Lord, did not the prophet say that Elias must come first? And Jesus said, truly, they did say that. And Elias has come. And the Bible says, then they understood that he spake of John the Baptist. And so, first of all, there was a coming in the spirit of, John the ba- uh, of Elijah by John the Baptist. But it's interesting when you look at this statement. It says, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And by the way, at his first coming, there was never a great and dreadful day of the Lord. So I believe that while John the Baptist was the coming of Elijah in the spirit, I believe there's going to be a coming of Elijah in substance. If you turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter number 11, I believe I can show it to you. Revelation chapter number 11. We're in the midst of the tribulation. Just a few short chapters The Son of Man will return to the earth. This time he'll not come as a lamb to be sacrificed. He's going to come as the lion to take over and to set up his kingdom. But before he comes, notice, the Bible says in Revelation 11 and verse number 3, And I will give power unto my two witnesses, And they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. Now, who are these two witnesses? Look at verse number six. These have power to shut up heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. Who does that remind you of? A man by the name of Elijah, who said to Ahab, except by my word, it will not rain. And it rained not for three and a half years. And this man by the name of Elijah will come. But can I say just as they rejected the man who came in the spirit of Elijah, John the Baptist, and they cut off his head. So they will reject this Elijah when he comes in substance. The Bible says... Verse number seven, when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of that great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves What's going to be their attitude toward the destruction of these servants of God? 
And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. Seems like an awful sad ending, doesn't it? Oh, but that's not the end. Look at the next, next verse, verse number 11. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them and they stood upon their feet and great fear fell upon them which saw them. They heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, come up hither and they ascended up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies beheld them. Can I say just as God protected his servants and even raised them from the dead and called them up in that day so God will watch over us and protect us and one day the trumpet will sound and we will hear the cry come up hither and we will be caught away. I read the story this week of a traveler who was visiting European cities. His passion was castles. He visited castle after castle and country after country. And at one of the Scottish castles that he visited, he found incredibly beautiful gardens and immaculately kept grounds. When he saw the gardener working the flower bed, he approached him and commended him for the fine work that obviously he had accomplished. Without stopping, the gardener simply thanked him for the compliment. When the visitor remarked, the, the owner of the castle must certainly be pleased with your efforts. The worker responded, he's not been here for more than 10 years. The amazed tourist remarked, oh, you must be expecting him soon. Came the reply, I expect him today, sir. I expect him today. Can I say Jesus has been gone for a long time? I want him to find my garden well kept when he comes again. I don't know when he's coming and someone may ask me, well, why are you working so hard? Why are you trying to be faithful? Why are you trying to think upon his name? Because I expect him today, sir. I expect him today. I want to live in such a way that when he comes, he'll find me ready for his coming. When Jesus comes to reward his servants, whether it be noon or night, faithful will he find us watching with our lamps all trimmed and bright. Oh, can we say we are ready, brother, ready for the soul's bright home. Say, will he find you and me still watching, watching, waiting when the Lord shall come. He is coming again. Do you expect him today? With our heads bowed and eyes closed this evening, every head bowed and every eye closed, I wonder tonight, are you ready for the Lord's coming again? Where do you find yourself in this book? I'm sure from time to time, all of us have found ourselves in the place of arguing against the Word of God. Somehow not agree, agreeing with what God has said. But all can I say, when we do that, we're headed down a path to point others in the wrong direction to turn others aside. Maybe tonight we just need to come to an altar and say, Lord, would you help me to acknowledge that your way is right and my way is wrong? Maybe tonight you're among that remnant 
Maybe you are busy speaking often one to another. Maybe your mind is fixed upon his name. Can I say be busy talking to others? Be busy being an encouragement. Be busy lifting up the name of the Lord. But I wonder most certainly no matter who we are, are we ready for his coming again? For Jesus is coming. He gave us his promise. In fact, the last promise that he gives us in the word of God is that I come quickly. Do you expect him today? If you expect him today, are you living to be ready to meet him when he comes again? Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.